over $300 billion of Russia's central bank assets have been frozen abroad. These funds should be confiscated to fund Ukraine's fight against Russia's invasion and to finance Ukraine's recovery. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. The Explaining Ukraine podcast is produced by Ukraine World, a multilingual website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolonko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, chief editor of Ukraine World and president of PEN Ukraine. My guest today is Olena Halushka, co-founder of the International Center for Ukrainian Victory and head of the International Department at the Anti-Corruption Action Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at PayPal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Olena Halushka, welcome to this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for joining this podcast. So we are talking, we, we will be talking about very important issue, which is where to get money for Ukrainian defense. And one of the things that you are advocating is that we should try to seize the Russian assets, the frozen Russian assets. Why is it important? Uh, unfortunately, the news that are coming right now from DC and from Brussels, they are not very encouraging because we see that uh, the US Congress is debating Uh, the supplemental package for Ukraine, that's the assistance for Ukraine's self-defense as well as uh, the economic macrofinancial assistance. Uh, but uh, there is no decision yet because that's, that was put in the package with uh, the uh, assistance for Israel, for the border security of the U.S. and uh, Taiwan, and uh, it is... Uh, in the center of very heated political debates. Uh, the news that are coming from the European Union are uh, basically, you know, similarly discouraging. Um, European Union plans to uh, provide the 50 billion Ukraine facility plan for the next four years uh, for the macrofinancial assistance, but the process of negotiation stuck Uh, mostly under the pressure from the Hungarian government. And um, the, the U.S. Uh, White House warned Congress that in case if they do not pass the supplemental for Ukraine, the aid, American aid, will last till the end of this year. And the same situation goes with the European macrofinancial assistance, which ends Uh, in the end of December this year. So basically since January we have we do not have the uh, guaranteed uh, assistance from two of our major partners. I mean I'm not speaking about bilateral assistance uh, from other countries which is by by, by the way also um, uh, debated and uh, still unclear. So unfortunately with this regards we have to think about the longer term plans 
you know, on one hand, we are, uh, of course, advocating for uh, both European and American packages to be adopted as soon as possible. But we have to think what is the plan in the long term perspective in the protracted war, because Russia doesn't plan to have any peace negotiations or peace talks. Take a look at how they are increasing their uh, military production that they increased uh, plan to in, to boost their war spendings in 2024 by 70 percent comparing to 2023 they are significantly improving the military technologies meaning that they will be uh, killing us more effectively in a few months and that's the reality which we are facing. So we have to be creative and the West has to be very serious in safeguarding the assistance for Ukraine for 2024, but also 2025, 26, 27 and, uh, and further. Uh, if we manage to win the war faster, then that will be the assistance for the recovery and reconstruction. But self-defense is the primary goal. But there is lots of talk about victory of Ukraine, and uh, but there is, if you do the reality check, that let's be serious. Uh, actually, what is more realistic is not the quick victory, but either a stalemate uh, or Ukrainian defeat. Uh, even if we consider that uh, the the front line will stop as it is and will not go too too far. It's it's also can be read as Ukrainian defeat because um, Russia wanted just to safeguard the parts of eastern Ukraine and have the land bridge to Crimea, which it succeeded. And uh, my impression is that when I talked in the Western countries that, look, it's not just Ukraine war, it's not Ukraine conflict, it's at least a war on Europe against Europe and Europe should be mobilized and the United States as a key partner, not of Ukraine, but strategic partner of Europe, should be mobilized much, much more. I don't really feel that these words, uh, you know, perceived and internalized. What is your feeling? Uh, unfortunately, I have the same feeling. There is very big lack of sense of urgency among our partners. In November, uh, together with colleagues, uh, I visited um, many Ukrainsky partners. We went to France, Germany, um, US, Canada, um, and uh, ended up our tour with the um, big conference in the European Parliament in Brussels. And this feeling, you know, of the lack of sense of urgency is, for me, it was absolutely overwhelming. Uh, because you are right that anything short of Ukrainian victory is Ukraine's defeat. Why? Because the underlying reason and goal of Russia in this war is to subjugate Ukraine or destroy it fully. I mean, this is genocidal war which doesn't have anything in between. Anything in between means taking time out, taking the brother for Russia, to better build the um, supply chains uh, through third countries, to make sure that their military production is situated uh, beyond the reach of uh, the weapons available for Ukraine, 
and, you know, continue scaling up military production, continue mobilizing and better training uh, their conscripts, their soldiers, and hit us much harder uh, in, let's say, uh, in a while. So for us... uh, In the meantime, this is Ukrainian economy, which is being destroyed by Russian missiles. These are our ports that are blocked, which used to be the main channels for our uh, exports, uh, for keeping our economy running. This is our energy infrastructure, which was uh, the biggest victim for Uh, Russian missile strikes and attacks last winter, and we still expect the similar to happen um, this winter. They are just accumulating the drones and missiles for making the strikes more massive and more complicated for the interception by, by Ukrainian air defense systems. And you're absolutely right that uh, Russian is waging the war against the West. That's how they are communicating it. That's how their propaganda mouthpieces are um, explaining it to their society. And Ukraine is just on the way, you know. And if Ukraine is defeated, then we will see a very big uh, internal Uh, oppressions, repressions, assassination of anybody who can pose the the, the resistance threat, tortures, basically everything that we are seeing in the occupation, but just in the scale of the entire country. Air alert. That's an illustration of what you're saying. That's exactly an illustration, yes. And, uh, And after that, Uh, after they manage to subjugate Ukraine, they will basically mobilize the remaining Ukrainian resources and throw them into a much larger war. But unfortunately, the Western partners are not ready to hear this from us. So what I think is much more effective at this point when uh, when the NATO allies are uh, alarming about this uh, the threat a very realistic perspective and when they are speaking on behalf of us and on behalf of themselves to their partners and here i mean of course baltic states are doing amazing job but not only them i think that scandinavian countries are are doing all, also good and having finland right now in nato who are uh, adding to the Um, you know, mature uh, and usually very calm voice, which is repeating the same messages, alarms, alerts, uh, as Ukrainians do, is strengthening our message, you know, towards the US, towards other Western European countries. And we have to continue building coalitions. And Central and Eastern European countries are those that understand... Uh, much better the threat of Russia because many of them had the bad experience of the Soviet occupation. They know what Russia is and they know what is Russian imperialism. And if it is not defeated in Ukraine, it will be just like what was put on the billboards recently that Russian empire doesn't have borders. So these borders will just continue extending and moving and they will move until they are stopped. 
and they can be stopped only with the military force, not with the negotiations and absolutely not with the hope that something will change, you know, or or, uh, or the society, Russian society will stand against or the regime will change or whatever. Only military and political victory of Ukraine can stop Russian imperialism. Absolutely. And I think there is also a perception from the last year that Russia's military is not that strong and that Ukraine will stop it and it will exhaust it. Well, the reality is that Russia is really churning its economy into a militarized track. And that means if it wins this war, well, it's already accustomed to wage the wars. And uh, European security... Imagine the, for example, the American umbrella will disappear because of Trump, because of something else. Europe is just unprotected. And uh, it's naive to believe that German army at, a, at, a, at this point is capable to fight against the Russian army. It's naive to think that even the French army is capable to fight against the Russian army as it is now. And uh, indeed, it's absolutely underestimated. People are afraid. People are scared when you're telling them this. People say, don't drag us into the war. And Ukrainians are saying, look, it's not us who drag you. It's Russia who proclaimed that it wants a revenge for the, for the defeat in the Cold War. And you just slept over this moment when they did it. And they did it already in the early 2000s and maybe in mid-2000s. So, Ukraine's GDP is 10 times less than Russia's GDP. Russia is destroying Ukrainian economy, so the difference can be higher and higher. EU's GDP is 10 times higher than Russia's GDP. American GDP is even more 10 times higher than Russian GDP. There is about 50 countries in Rammstein format. And still we are facing a situation when Ukrainians are increasingly have lesser shells than the Russians. EU does not provide enough shells uh, and fell short of this goal of one million shells. So what is going on? Why much, much stronger Ukrainian ally is in a situation when Ukraine is going again into a position of an underdog which is which becomes a weaker and weaker underdog. That is what Putin was putting his bet on, the so-called Ukraine fatigue. And we know that uh, Russians invested a lot, entire fortune, in convincing the West that they are tired of Ukraine and that this war could have ended if Ukrainians just decided to stop dying, that they like fighting and, you know, peace negotiations are being um, disregarded or denied exactly by, by Ukraine. So Russian propaganda is very, very strongly working and unfortunately many people in the West are still falling victims to it. Uh, but also we have to realize that Russia is very effectively building coalitions with other dictatorship because at the very beginning when they started this war, 
they had only Belarus by their side. Then they effectively started cooperating with Iran that um, has supplied first drones and then they uh, shared the technology so Russians can basically uh, build those drones right now on the territory of Russia and do not rely on the supplies that are coming from Iran. Uh, now they started receiving uh, the supplies from North Korea and uh, according to the information of the South Korean um, uh, members of parliament, uh, North Korea has already supplied around 1 million artillery shells to Russia. In the same time, the European Union is very much falling behind their officially announced and celebrated plan to supply the same amount of artillery shells for uh, for Ukraine. Why is this happening? Because Europe is still living in the peacetime. Because Europe still hopes that uh, uh, the larger conflict can anyhow be avoided. Because they do not want to see the clear and direct links between Iran being much more bold, using Hamas to attack Israel in the Middle East because they want to destabilize the world. Because they do not want to see Venezuela uh, announcing a part of the neighboring country as their own territories is direct consequence of this escalation management policy, which our partners uh, had been, you know, applying and implementing for a year and a half, because this is the signal that any dictator can use force in order to get their geopolitical and foreign policy uh, goals and objectives. And these are just the very early signs of how the world order, rules-based order, the world order which they, Western economies and political systems and democracies have been benefiting for decades since World War II on, is falling apart. And it is falling apart particularly because Western countries are not ready to stand to defend it very much. And the fact that these are just the separate countries that understand the, the real risks and that they are ramping up their own production, uh, but, but, but many of them are lagging behind the schedule. And not only Europe, the, the United States, uh, unfortunately, as well. And I think that what we are trying to convey is the make the wake-up call that if Western partners are not ready to uh, realize uh, the new reality and the new normal, uh, they might be the direct victim of this new normal much faster than they can expect. So let's come back to this first topic we started with. Uh, there are frozen Russian public assets, the state assets. First, how much is the amount of money? And second, is it realistic to seize them? Because your argument is that uh, the Western governments needs to need to seize them and to use them uh, to strengthen Ukrainian defense and in the future Ukrainian reconstruction or maybe now Ukrainian reconstruction. So where are we now? So in the first days after the beginning of the full-scale war, Western governments have frozen 300 billion dollars worth 
uh, assets of the Russian Central Bank. Uh, basically, these are currency reserves which every central bank has in the uh, other uh, reserve currencies. And most of these currencies uh, are dollars, euros, um, um, Japanese yuan, uh, sorry, Japanese yen, uh, and uh, um, British pound. Uh, there is also part in Chinese yuan, but it is very small. It is around uh, 2% of all of the reserves. Uh, and, uh, of course, China hasn't um, uh, frozen Russian reserves, but this was done by the J7 countries. Uh, and also some of the reserves are frozen in Belgium because they have the clearinghouse Euroclear, and um, they have frozen the uh, central bank reserves uh, and transactions. Uh, ever since uh, the, the, the follow-up steps uh, were not made uh, in order to move forward with the confiscation of these assets. Uh, it, is, it indeed would be an unprecedented step uh, to do this confiscation, uh, and it is indeed, uh, th there is no provision in the international law which says that in case of the Russian genocidal war against Ukraine, Western countries can easily move ahead with the confiscation of Russian assets. Uh, my understanding is that this question was, um, you know, delegated to the international lawyers uh, who are uh, viewing it very narrowly from their own perspective. Plus, we have the financial institutions, the central banks, that are also viewing this super narrowly. Uh, what we are right now asking uh, our international partners to do is to make the political decision. Because we are facing the shortage of money in the mid and long term perspective for the financial assistance for Ukraine, not only for the economy, uh, but also for the defense, reconstruction, recovery, compensation uh, of damages uh, for the victims. And if the confiscation debate is seen from the angle that there is shortage of this assistance, and there is a very realistic, gloomy perspective of Russia winning in Ukraine, you know, then all of the legal and economic arguments are actually bleak uh, because the precedent which would be created by, by one country taking over another sovereign country for the international law would be much more dangerous than making the confiscation. And together with our colleagues and uh, other uh, international lawyers and international uh, finance experts, uh, we brought together um, legal and economic counter-arguments which explain that the confiscation is possible, that the sovereign immunity uh, isn't uh, um, uh, unique and exclusive. It can be overcome if the confiscation is done not through the courts, but by the orders of executive authorities. And if executive authorities apply it as the countermeasure, because Russia is gravely violating international law, they are committing 
huge, enormous international crimes in Ukraine. And it is absolutely justified by the international law to apply a countermeasure by which the, this money can be confiscated. The opponents say that countermeasure should be reversible and proportionate. With regards to propor proportionality, uh, it is clear that even in the first year of the full-scale war, Russia already inflicted at Ukraine more damages than um, the, the amount of money which is uh, frozen Russian central bank's assets. But how about uh, reversibility? So they say that in case if the money is confiscated, it's irreversible and this money cannot be returned to Russia afterwards. But Russian international obligations are not only to stop the aggression, but also pay the reparations. And they have already uh, brought uh, damages which significantly exceed the, uh, the, the, the amount of frozen assets, which means that in case if Russia stops the aggression and agrees to pay the reparation, the amount of confiscated uh, assets will be netted as the due payment by Russia into their reparations, meaning that uh, this will just be, you know, um, um, counted, uh, offset, uh, from the Russians' uh, due payments of the reparations. Uh, the confiscation is a very lawful act of the self-defense because according to the UN Charter, the country uh, which is uh, being um, under the aggression can um, apply um, the measures of the self-defense and they're either individually or collectively. And as you have very rightly pointed that our economy is much smaller and just over the first year of the full-scale war, um, Russians uh, destroyed, I mean, we lost 30% of our GDP, so almost one-third of our economy. Uh, plus, you know, the Russians blowing up the Kahovka Dam alone brought additional 14 billion uh, dollars uh, in damages and not a single sanction was ever applied for this horrible uh, man-made catastrophe. And that is why uh, it is absolutely justified that as the act of collective self-defense, the West confiscates this money and send them to Ukraine. Because in the NATO 2022 strategic concept, Russia is already named as the key threat, direct threat to NATO. In case of Ukraine's defeat, uh, you know, the, the, the aggression and the threat uh, of the attack would be imminent for NATO. So, um, plus we also have the economic counter arguments collected, which prove that Western financial systems won't be ruined in case of the confiscation, because as I've already said, uh, almost 90% of all of the uh, world reserves are kept in dollars, euro, yen, and pounds. 
the, the reserves of third countries simply have no other destinations to flow away to 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 you know create de-dollarization or de-eurization that um, some of the central banks are threatening with. So there are plenty of arguments which justify the confiscation. But what is missing is the political will to hear those arguments and to make the decision. Because unfortunately, there are enough uh, excuses that are being voiced. But if the, the goal is to find the solution, it is absolutely doable to do this. Who has to take this decision? Because we understand it can cannot be made by UN because Russia will block it. Uh, can it can it be done by individual governments, individual central banks? Uh, yes, that can be done by the individual governments. Um, our experience with advocating uh, politically complicated uh, decisions before, like the provision of the uh, main battle tanks Leopard 2 or the F-16 fighter jets, showed that the most effective way to move forward is to build coalitions. Uh, some individual member states already started working towards um, introducing the mechanism for the confiscation on the national level, like the uh, U.S. Congress is right now considering the Repo Act, which, um, in case if it is passed, would um, enable um, White House to um, confiscate uh, Russian money and Uh, send them to Ukraine. Canada has already made some progress uh, on their national level. Uh, plus, Estonia is also, Estonian parliament is also considering the draft law uh, on that. But uh, most of the assets frozen are uh, in Belgium, uh, Germany, France, uh, also Japan. Uh, so from our perspective, the best way forward would be to have the J7 plus EU, maybe not EU as the European Union, because uh, there are very high risks that Hungary and maybe other countries can block this decision. But, you know, then J7 plus Belgium and move forward with getting the political decision among the leaders and then implementation on the uh, national level using the framework which is right now being tested in a few champion countries. So the counter-argument is that, okay, we confiscate Russian assets, but then all these other forces, governments, which are probably not that democratic, maybe from the Middle East world, maybe from China, maybe from other countries, will think twice whether to have their assets in the U.S. dollars or, or euros. And uh, this will be a major outflow, right, and, and long-term long -term consequences of this. What is your response? You partially already responded to that, but you, you, you said actually that current reserves are in this currencies, but we can imagine that, for example, China will react to that and say, okay, these Western currencies are not reliable, so let's make everything in yuan, for example. Or in cryptocurrency or whatever. Uh, so it's uh, it's impossible because uh, uh, the Chinese yuan 
is not a reserve currency, an effective major reserve currency, not because China didn't uh, set this as the goal and objective. They, they've been struggling to do this for the last 10 years minimum, but because they cannot do this. Why? First of all, Chinese yuan is not fully convertible. <laughs> you know, the reserve currency has to be fully convertible, and Chinese yuan is not. Um, the second, they have issues with... Um, uh, security of the investment market. So a few years ago, they passed the so-called anti-sanction legislation, which allows Chinese government to seize the property of investors in case if they uh, c consider, you know, the the actions hostile. So that is not adding to the um, safety of uh, of investors, you know, going to potentially uh, invest there. And without the safety of investors, the currency cannot be the, the reserve currency because that's absolutely interlinked. And moreover, the figures are very interesting. They, they are showing that after Western countries have frozen Russian assets in the first um, days of the full-scale war, which was already a major uh, shock for many, even in, including for Russia, they do not did not expect this to happen. Um, the private investors were not, um, you know, um, moving uh, their investments into China, but on the contrary, they sold one hundred fifteen billion. Um, dollars worth of Chinese bonds net, meaning that being afraid of the potential, you know, sanctions and uh, the, the behavior of Chinese government, the investors were pulling away of China and not of the West. Uh, what about the, the potential uh, of other currencies to be the reserves? There are no such currencies. So Indian rupee also has very big convertibility uh, issues. And even Russia doesn't want to keep their assets in Indian rupee, which they are accumulating right now because of the selling of the Russian oil to India and they cannot get the, the profits uh, out of the country because of convertibility uh, issues. Uh, gold is also not an option because uh, it has a number of, I mean, it has high volatility, it doesn't have uh, quick uh, convertibility and we do not even have the enough gold in, um, you know, in physical capacities to, to cover uh, those assets. Uh, so that is why, you know, one thing is destination of the um, uh, reserves. There is no destination and there are no prospects for such destination to appear in the next, you know, decade. So it's not a question that China comes up with the idea that, hey, all of the reserves come here and we will accommodate you. The economy, the real economy is not working that way. So that's first important aspect. And the second important aspect is that the case for confiscation should be made very clear so that all of the third countries realize that uh, even if they do some minor transgressions, they won't be punished that way. And here, unfortunately, we have a very long list of very unique <clears throat> criteria. For example, violation of Budapest Memorandum. Ukraine gave up third largest nuclear arsenal in the world 
under the assurances uh, security assurances which Russia gravely violated in 2014 take a look how Russia is waging this war. I mean, mass deportation of kids. Uh, Putin was uh, um, uh, in indicted uh, for this major crime. And this is actually one of the very clear signs of the genocidal nature of this war. Uh, take a look at the targeted uh, attacks at civilian facilities. And here I mean energy facilities, but also kindergartens, libraries, hospitals, uh, schools, whatever, which has nothing to do with, with, with military purpose. Then they are very actively using rape as the weapon of, uh, of war. Uh, they are torturing um, prisoners of war. They have captured thousands of civilians and keeping them hostages, uh, treating them, uh, you know, in a very inhuman way, etc., etc. So Russia has violated hundreds of international treaties, conventions, uh, you know, uh, whatever. So this case is super unique. If third countries do not plan to repeat Russian war playbook in their countries, then they do not have to, to be scared uh, about the safety of their reserves. And on the contrary, if they do consider possible acts of aggression, then knowing that this instrument, this precedent is in place and this instrument has been already used, that might make them think twice or even three times whether their aggression is worth doing this if the accountability would would be that hard. Let's, maybe this is the last question, but it's a very broad one. Let's think about the future. And maybe let's try to make maybe a gloomy scenario. Because this is, I mean, we talk so much about victory, uh, about reconstruction, post-war, but we also need to take into account a bad scenario. So the bad scenario is that uh, Americans will stop helping Ukraine or significantly reduce the assistance. European Union will also struggle and will not succeed in, you know, at least matching the, the, the Russian militarized economy. And the, this case of seizing and confiscating Russian assets will fail. So Ukraine will... Uh, will remain one-to-one -one with Russia, maybe with a little bit of help from international partners, but not sufficient to withstand Russian aggression, let alone win this war. What will happen? What should, be, should we be ready for? Well, Ukrainians will continue fighting uh, in the same um, mode as in the first weeks of the full-scale war, when we were hearing that Kyiv will fail in three days, then we were generously offered one week, then two weeks, and the aid was not coming, but the gloomy forecasts were coming. For Ukrainians, this war is the existential war. I mean, we know that we as the nation, we as, as people, we will simply be destroyed. And if we do not fight for our nation now, we will anyway be fighting in a few years. But as the part of, of Russian occupation forces against further targets 
which Russian imperialism would try uh, to subjugate or destroy. So again, it's it, it's not that the occupation will bring peace or peaceful negotiations will bring peace. They want to destroy us. There can be no in-between scenario. So Ukrainians will continue fighting. It's going to be much, much harder, of course. Uh, but, uh, but but I think that it's very important to start to ramp up, continue ramping up our own production, setting up joint production with the foreign companies who has who have business interest uh, in that. And uh, you know, despite the fact that what would be the decision on the aid coming from the governments businesses have their own business interest and they are interested in uh, working with ukraine unfortunately but that would be very bad i mean that would of course be very complicated and the the worst outcome from that would be the message for all of the dictators that they are welcome to do whatever they want with whoever they want to. And the dictators are penciling very well everything that is happening in this war. They are learning from Russian mistakes. They are learning from the West's response. And that would be the beginning of the major, major chaos. So I truly hope that our Western partners realize that at this stage of the history, they can still defend the international world order, the freedom-loving nation Ukraine, uh, and the democracy globally by uh, providing us the military and financial assistance in time. In case if they stop doing this, that will have the domino effect and a very direct consequence at them much faster than they could have imagined. Thank you, Olena. Thank you for this very sobering uh, voice and sobering remarks. Uh, well, Ukrainians uh, keep sending these wake-up calls to our partners. Of course, of course, we realize that if there is no support in 2022, our struggle would be much more difficult. So this support exists and uh, Ukraine is very much supported financially. We understand that up to probably one half of the Ukrainian budget is now supported from abroad. But we also need to understand that this is not for one, two years. This is a really very long-term fight and uh, Russia is really churning up into a militarized state. So we should all be prepared and uh, defend really the values of freedom and sovereignty and dignity. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you very much. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a multilingual website about Ukraine. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a chief editor of Ukraine World and president of Pen Ukraine. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypalukraine.resistinggmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.